Hi, and welcome to the BPD Bravery Show, where we discuss tips, strategies, struggles, triumphs, and success stories related to borderline personality disorder. Here is your host, Faye Green. Hi, and welcome to the BPD Bravery Show. Our guest today is a highly talented content creator on TikTok and Instagram. They create informative and entertaining content covering topics such as living with BPD, the quiet subtype experience, and recovery from BPD and PTSD. So welcome, Avery. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, would you mind explaining what it is, uh, what quiet BPD is? Yeah. So quiet BPD is a name for a subtype of BPD that was kind of researched and coined by Dr. Theodore Milan, um, who was an American psychologist who did a lot of studies and research on personality disorders. And the quiet subtype is basically when you have BPD symptoms, but you internalize them, you don't really show them outward. So you're rather emotionally over-controlled rather than under-controlled. Yeah, I, um, I've i never delved into, is this something that they give you, like you got BPD, but you got BPD, like, is it a diagnosis that a psychologist or a psychiatrist will give you, or is it just like obvious, okay, you're this, you're that? Kind of. So some mental health professionals may be familiar with Milan subtypes, and mm-hmm. they may deem some, like a patient. Uh, quiet BPD, they may say like, hey, you have BPD symptoms, but you have kind of like quiet BPD. It's very hard to detect them. Um, So they may tell you that you have quiet BPD if they give you a BPD diagnosis, but it's not a formal diagnosis. So the subtypes are more just a describing tool for people to understand the way that their individual symptom, like their symptoms as an individual kind of show up because BPD doesn't look the same in every single person, right? Um, So it's, that's what I mean. It's a describing tool and it's not really an official diagnosis. It's all BPD. And then the subtypes are meant to help people as individuals. All right. I'm wondering, is it more difficult? Because for me personally, um, it took them 10 years to figure out what's wrong with, no, nine to be exact, it took them oh, nine wow. years to figure out that I've got BPD and they've given me all kind of uh, diagnosis, but nothing matched. And at the end, they said it's because you didn't show like signs on the outside, right? And I'm like, I understand, but you should have known better, <laughs> you know, that was my mm, thinking. Mm-hmm. But do you think that quiet BPD is more difficult to diagnose or is not like they don't, like professionals don't see it right away. Absolutely. It is very hard to diagnose. And it looks like a lot of other things because there are other disorders that also involve emotional over control, a lot of anxiety disorders. Um, Autism in women also shows up very similar to quiet BPD. Um, So it is very, very hard to detect. It involves a lot of masking. It's, it's known kind of as high functioning BPD. I don't really like that term. I don't like functioning labels. Um, But occasionally you may hear mental health professionals say something like high functioning. Um, So that's kind of why it's very hard to detect because people with quiet BPD, um, a lot of their sense of self-worth 
revolves around looking okay, like appearing completely collected and cool, right? And a lot of our struggles are behind closed doors. Oh yeah. I that that's something that professional stuff told me. Oh, you're high functioning. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. you know, how can I have it if they're like you're high? Fu-. And I only heard about quiet BPD like maybe half a year ago. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that term used. And then I heard that this doctor, um, I forgot, I think now I may mess it up. Malone. Dr. This Malone? Doc- oh, I knew I'm gonna mess it up. And he I think he wrote a book on the four subtypes, right? Yes. And that's when I started doing more research. I'm like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. It. So Dr. Theodore Milan, uh, he was the one who kind of developed the subtype kind of concept. Um, mm-hmm. And there aren't there are four subtypes that he proposed for BPD, but he also proposes four subtypes for pretty much every personality disorder. Um, oh. So it's it's meant to, like I said before, it's kind of meant to be a describing tool. Have you read his book? Is it is it worth? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. You know what? You'll have to you'll have to refer me later because no, I yeah. now I want that book. Now I want it because now I'm thinking, oh, I should read it just to learn more mm. about you know the four subtypes mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. I know there's um, there's petulant I think and there's uh, oh I don't remember so the others. That's okay. Oh. So there the four subtypes for BPD specifically are quiet, petulant, self-destructive, and impulsive. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about a little bit about them if you'd like me to. I know a lot mm-hmm. more about quiet BPD, but um, so like, like I said before, quiet BPD is more hidden. A lot of people with quiet BPD are very quietly angry. Uh, there's a lot of internalized anger. Um, they're very emotionally over-controlled. They internalize a lot of things. They have a lot of uh, internalized shame as well. Uh, petulant is kind of more of the outward type of BPD. Petulant BPD is very passive aggressive. Um, they have a lot of issues with authority. Um, and uh, they can kind of be more outward. They are kind of more likely to have like outbursts and stuff like that. Self-destructive as well is a little bit similar to petulant. Um, it's a little bit more outward. Self-destructive subtype kind of categorizes it like you do things kind of knowing that they're not good for you. Like you engage in more self-destructive behaviors that you may know that they're not good for you, but you don't care. Um, You're very dismissive of your own well-being because you struggle with a lot of like feelings of emptiness and hopelessness. Um. And uh, you can be, they can be kind of like the ones to be the first to leave because it's easier to be left or it's easier to leave than be left. Um, And then impulsive is kind of self-explanatory. Those people are very charismatic and they're highly impulsive. They engage in a lot of outrageous, impulsive behavior. Um, They can be, they can have a very loud personality or a very boisterous personality. And um, yeah, they engage in a lot of impulsive behavior. Um, And it is important to note that the subtypes aren't just for putting people in little cups for the subtypes. So you can be multiple subtypes. You can relate to multiple subtypes. Um, You can just relate to a subtype more than the others like myself. So I relate on different levels to each of the four subtypes for sure. 
but I relate to quiet BPD the most. And probably the second subtype that I relate to is impulsive BPD. Oh, you explain it so well. Thank you. And so um, when did you find out that you had it? And how was, I'm just wondering how you're like, did you think that you were like some people, they assume they have it until they get a diagnosis. Some people are totally clueless like myself. Um, How was it that you got diagnosed? And then what was your response once you were diagnosed? Uh, So I didn't know about like, I didn't really know what BPD was until I was about 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, pretty much up until I was 24, I just thought I had really bad depression and anxiety. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. And, um, you know, I had a stress-induced psychosis. I had a stress-induced psychotic episode uh, when I was 24. And, you know... It was kind of a wake-up call. Uh, it was really, really severe. And I realized that I needed to really kick myself into gear and see a mental health professional instead of waiting for, you know, like my family doctor to refer me out. Um, I had to kind of get to the bottom of what exactly was going wrong, going on with me. And I just felt like I was crazy. Like, I, I just thought like, oh my God, like, what if I'm the only one that just like does this stuff and like, is this actually depression? Because the internet says that depression is just these like certain symptoms. And I have like way more problems than that. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I came across a website, like, I can't remember which website it was. It might've been like a Reddit post or it might've been like, I don't know, like a psychology article or something like that. But it talked about borderline personality disorder and went over the criteria and with each criteria that I read to myself, I was like, this is getting increasingly relatable. And I think I should maybe consider bringing this up to my psychologist when I see her and finally get assessed. And uh, so when I, it was a three month wait list for a psychologist, but I went to see her and I went in and I didn't say like, I think I have BPD. It wasn't like that, but I just said like, listen, I have struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life, but I feel like my problems are a lot bigger than that. And I'm noticing, and my family is starting to notice, and it's they're bringing it up, that I keep having these really unstable, volatile relationships that are just really, like, I just thought that I was really passionate, but I'm starting to understand that this is a problem where I cannot have a stable relationship to save my life and it's causing me a lot of strife and so that was the immediate red flag for her like when I said unstable relationship she was like okay we're gonna assess you for a bunch of stuff and we I think she assessed me for a few hours over a few weeks and it was a lot of money um so I was highly privileged that way but I came out of it and she was like, yeah, you definitely have BPD. Um, It's not other things. You have BPD. And I was like, okay, this sucks because it's real. um, But it also doesn't suck because now I know that I'm not crazy. This is a real thing that a lot of people have and a lot of people struggle with. 
so much so that it's got a name for it. And wow, I feel a lot better knowing that it's not like we know what's going on with me now. And now we know how to proceed. Right. And the sorry, that was a long story. <laughs> no, um, that quiet BPD thing. That was just my own research. Like that was me oh. trying to do more research and understand my disorder and myself as an individual. And uh, I came across the subtypes and I was like, oh, my God. This makes even more sense now. This makes even more sense. Like the quiet BPD thing. This shit, I, I, I feel so seen. I feel understood. And um, what you said that you felt, oh, like there are other people that also have it and you're not like totally crazy. Those were the exact same thoughts that I had after I, after I accepted. I was... I was not as accepting. I, I didn't know what it is. No one told me mm -hmm. that I have it. And it slipped out from us, from my therapist. She didn't even realize mm. that I'm not aware of it. It was very weird. <laughs> oh, wow. So it, was in my, it was in my charts, but no one made me aware that I was diagnosed with it. It was, it was interesting. Guard. Oh, yeah. yeah. But mm -hmm. once I accepted and I started doing the research, I'm like, wait, yeah, so I'm not crazy. No. I'm not there are so many, it felt, and I remember the, that I had goosebumps on my arms and I felt like my life was like this puzzle, which is like, you know, when you get it and it's not, you know, put together and like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's putting itself, like, it makes sense. Like now I could mm -hmm. see the picture. Things are yes. starting to make sense. So it's, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. So there are so many, I know that you, you talk about recovery and your recovery and there's, there's DBT, CBT, there is, oh, there are so many, there's um, EMDR, um, mm -hmm. I can't even remember, but which, like, which route did you take? So far, uh, I've been privileged enough that I did about eight months of DBT uh, after I got diagnosed. Um, and I did really well. So my psychologist, by the end of it, like the eight months, she was like, honestly, so far, like you're doing great. I would say you're in remission. And I felt oh. really proud of myself. Um, you know, it was really good. I highly recommend DBT. Definitely helped me. Um, but I, DBT didn't really help me learn boundaries uh, so I ended up still kind of like, I was in remission because I didn't have a favorite person. Like I didn't have a, like a romantic relationship. I know favorite person doesn't have to be romantic, but for me, it usually is. Um, so yeah, I was in remission because I wasn't like very attached to anyone. And, uh, after about like, I don't know, a few months I found myself in like, a really abusive relationship and I relapsed and I got PTSD and uh mm. so I had to kind of pick myself back up again and be like okay you know um I took a few steps backwards but I gotta keep moving forward and I gotta try again right so I got a like I picked DBT back up and I also did uh, prolonged exposure therapy. Um, so I don't know, DBT and like prolonged exposure is kind of like it, 
has a bit of CBT mixed into it. So like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so yeah, so mm-hmm. far I've done DBT, highly recommend, mm-hmm. but it just didn't address trauma. It didn't address any trauma that I had, right? It's it's not necessarily like, it's not completely like dismissive or invalidating or anything. Um, at least my experience was not, but it the fact is DBT doesn't really cover trauma or help you unpack it. So I had to kind of start to do that when I was treating my PTSD. Um, so I did like CBT for that and I did prolonged exposure. That was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Prolonged exposure. Um, prolonged exposure is kind of like a imaginal exposure. So you're not necessarily like going and putting yourself in the exact situation that you were before, cause that's messed up, but you kind of like imagine yourself in that situation again. And like in, in a way that is kind of like it addresses the emotions and the fear that you felt at the time during the situation. So it's a way for you to kind of like help process what needs to be processed. Um, It's still really, really hard to do. I haven't done EMDR. A lot of people have done EMDR. I haven't, uh, because I haven't been able to find some, like I haven't been able to access that yet from a mental health professional, but it's in the works. So eventually I will do EMDR. There's also things like schema therapy and schema therapy is not as talked about, um, but schema therapy is also for personality disorders. And it's kind of for when DBT like doesn't work. Uh, It's kind of like a backup option. I don't want to say backup as in like, it's not as good Um, because that's not true. It's, It's still very good, but uh, it's kind of like, okay, if DBT doesn't is not quite for you, try schema therapy, and that might be a better option for you, might be more effective. So a lot of people say that DBT is like the one and only thing to treat a personality disorder. Personally, I, I've tried quite a few now, and, uh, you know, like, schema therapy is not as easy to find. Not a lot of people offer it, so I've had trouble finding it as well, but... I've read about it and I like what it's about and uh, I think people should definitely open their mind to things beyond DBT. There's something for everyone. Yeah. I've learned about schema therapy just yesterday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I, I've, I've learned about it on a YouTube video actually. Oh, nice. I'm like, like, okay, I got to look into it. I've done DBT before they even I've done DBT so many years ago before they even fit anyone what's wrong with me um I was high highly suicidal and my therapist mm-hmm. thought that you know this will help me which it did I I think yeah. at that point it did save my life but then I stopped yeah. if for me I stopped practicing it and then 10 years later mm-hmm. I'm like I need some skills I need some skills and I try going I had that book the workbook but it kind of it was difficult retrieving the skills again. And that was basically Yeah, you got to pick it back up. It's it's a it's yeah. kind of muscle. It's like a muscle or it's like a tool that you have to like you can get rusty, right? It's good to kind of practice. The thing with DBT is it works when you practice it even when you're not in crisis mode because it is a tool like you have to practice and kind of 
like learn to internalize these tools. So um, you don't just kind of like read about it and then only use it when you've hit crisis mode. Because when you're in crisis mode, it's actually oh. <laughs> harder to implement these tools, right? So yeah. when you implement them in your daily life, you'll it it'll become like kind of internalized and you'll like it won't be as hard to just kind of switch that switch into dbt mode if that makes sense um so i don't i try to practice dbt stuff um all the time like not 24 7 but you know um even if i'm not super in crisis like if i'm just kind of having an episode or even when I'm not in an episode, I'll just kind of do this cope ahead thing. Be like, okay, this situation that I'm about to get into is going to be really emotionally exhausting. And like, I know it's going to be very hard for me to tolerate. So I'm going to think about what tools I need to use for this. Stuff like that. It's kind of thinking ahead. Being like a couple steps ahead of yourself really right. helps. Right? So... Could I take a step back? Um, you mentioned favorite people, like how that, you know, that kind of, you could practice DBT and that kind of threw it off. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what are the struggles? Because sometimes people glamorize favorite people. People oh, yeah. think they want it. I, and I've seen so many people write different ways. Some would write, I wish I had a favorite purpose person and others write, I've just lost my favorite person. I need another one. And I'm like, no, no, no. You're asking for poison. You You don't want this. (laughs) So what are the struggles? What what do you think are the biggest struggles with an FP? And like, if you want to talk about it or know what it's like losing one. Because for me personally, losing one is hell. Yeah. Super, super painful. So what, what is it like for you? Favorite person. Uh, if anyone's listening that doesn't know what it is, favorite person is just what the BPD community calls somebody that we are very, very overly attached to. And the concept can be described, like, if you Google limerence, um, that's pretty much what it is. But it's like limerence times like five, I swear to God. It's very intense with people with BPD. Um, And having a favorite person feels like you're emotionally trapped it's like you basically, like, it's not voluntary, right? Like, for you, you don't just go and, like, be like, okay, that person, perfect. Um, and then you just, like, okay. attach yourself. Like, it's not like that. You just kind of develop a connection with somebody. Um, and sometimes it can be one-sided. Like, it feels like it's a two-way connection. But sometimes it's not. Like, it's, there is a level of, like, almost parasocial Uh, relationships where it's not necessarily just completely one-sided but you are definitely more attached to the the other person than than they are of you and like it's like a fixation and every waking thought that I have is about that favorite person it's like my entire sense of self revolves around them and their opinion of me basically like it 
dictates my emotional state. Um, if I sense that they have a bad opinion of me or that they think they're thinking even just a bad or just unfavorable thought about me, I feel horrible. I feel like such intense shame and and like embarrassment and guilt and um, the need for for their attention and their approval is unfathomable. Like it's so intense that if it's not going well, even slightly, I feel like I wish I was never born. Um, you know, like it, it's very hard to talk about with people who don't experience this because yes, it does sound very dramatic and it is. Um, it is very painful. It's very like, it's like soul sucking. Um, and it's not like the other person is doing it to you. They're not. Um, but it's still, it's like this feeling of being emotionally trapped and you're like tethered to this person. And when you lose your favorite person, when your favorite person either like the relationship ends somehow or they leave you or whatever, um, it just feels so heavy. For me, I just describe it as like someone someone just like sliced me open and stuffed my whole body with rocks. It just feels absolutely horrible. Um, I don't feel, I feel so horrible that I start to just feel nothing at all. Um, and for me, like I recently, like this year lost a favorite person and for months and months, I felt just horrible. I felt like it really messed with my will to live and I had to really practice DBT skills. Um, and you know, when it happens, like you could be in remission or you can be on top of your BPD and it's still like the favorite person thing just messes it all up. It's like the hardest thing for me to deal with as someone with BPD. I can handle everything else. I can learn to manage it. But when it comes to favorite person, that is the biggest struggle for me. Um, and I can't speak for everyone with BPD, obviously, but me personally, favorite having favorite person sucks oh yeah big time that's why i get so upset when i read those things of people wanting one i'm like mm -hmm. you do not want one if you, don't you knew want what attachment. it is uh, 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 it's so unhealthy mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. i pity the other person right i, pi I pity the person yeah. on the other end um and it's not like i'm her it's oh it's such a it's not it's, like they asked for it right yeah. You know, and because you're so emotionally attached, like the frantic efforts to avoid abandonment by this person, um, that's what they are. They're frantic. Like with anybody else, like anybody else can just be like, okay, peace out. I'm out of your life now. And I'd be like, okay, bye. Um, yep. But with a favorite person, <laughs> if they peace out, I'm just like, oh my God, I, I'm not a person anymore. I can't function like i i have to i have to like recreate myself now like oh my god um my entire world just crashed and Im just exploded right in front of me all around me everything's on fire um yeah. it's like oh my gosh it's happening ah! um but yeah i can ask for it and not only that sense. it's like when they're in your life you do you could sometimes do i've created businesses because I wanted to be like them and fit into their world. Cause like, if I'm, if I do exactly like what they like, 
then I'll, yes. then they won't leave me. Right. Like, creating, yes. and I'm talking about thousands yeah. of dollars. And this is crazy. And then when they leave, you're like, oh, I've, I've well, I don't care about this stuff anymore. No, I've, I've even, yeah. I've ended up in the hospital because of that. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't yeah. want to live anymore. It's, it's yeah. over. Yeah, it's over. It's over. And you have to like, you're constantly feels like you just have to recreate yourself. I totally get it. Yeah. Just molding yourself to fit into their life and being what you think they want you to be so they won't leave you that's and that's where the frantic efforts of abandonment and that's kind of ties into this unstable sense of self as well right um it's a lot easier to not do that when you have more of a solidified sense of self um but yeah people ask me all the time like how do i manage the fp thing and i'm just like i'm so sorry but i don't have the answers <laughs> yet i will let you know when i figure it out but right now that's that's my i don't know i don't know how to stop doing it can i be on that list too of people who will yeah. find out how to manage it when you find out yeah i'll start like a <laughs> newsletter or something like fp recovery progress hey guys oh yeah i don't know like, well, I don't know. I follow your TikTok, so if you put it on there, I'll get yeah. to see it. Um, so, question: Do you have like a helpful tip for people with quiet BPD in particular? Yes, as far as managing their life. I do. Let's see. I have like one really good one. If I could tell mm -hmm. anybody with quiet BPD anything, just one thing is learn how to feel your emotions and let yourself feel your emotions. So I can elaborate. For me, because my self-worth is completely dependent on how collected I am, um, I stuff my emotions down. I'm very, like I said before, I'm very emotionally over-controlled. And you need to have a balance. It, a lot of people will tell me, well, I'd rather be emotionally over-controlled. You don't. Um, it's better to just have a balance. Being emotionally under-controlled or over-controlled both suck. They just suck in different ways. And I always kind of compare being emotionally over-controlled to being like an air horn with no nozzle. And there's no way for me to let anything out. And so a lot of time, and this is a normal quiet BPD experience, honestly. A lot of times you contain your emotions so much, you stuff them down so much, and then you can't fit anything in anymore. And then you'll have like one wild outburst. Like you'll just hit your breaking point and then you will have an outburst. So it's not that people with, with quiet BPD never have outbursts. Um, they do. They're just very rare and they're like intense because you've stuffed everything down for so long. And... Uh, that happens when you don't let yourself feel and process emotions, right? So the tip is emotions, all emotions are good. It feels like they're not good because I know some emotions are uncomfortable, um, but you still like emotions are messages that your brain is telling you um, and all emotions are good. They're, they're telling you about what you need. It's like messages being like, you need to do this or you need something, right? So 
Um, for the longest time, I internalized a lot of anger. I felt guilty for feeling angry. I was like, am I a bad person because I'm angry about this? You know, am I being an asshole because I'm angry about this thing? A lot of times, the emotions that we feel are justified. It's just that the intensity needs to be brought down a little bit. But for people with quiet BPD, the intensity is so much and you're still pushing it down. So you're so you're pushing down a big amount of emotion. Um, and you can feel it, but you still also just like every other person with BPD, you just need to bring the intensity down and, and you can still validate the emotion. You can still feel it. You still process it. And it's a lot better to do that. It's a lot better to get in touch with your emotions, be mindful of them, understand, learn to validate yourself, understand how you feel the different emotions in your body, you know, understand when your emotions are justified and when they're not. And um, so understanding and letting yourself feel your emotions is a lot, it's going to be a lot better. It's been very important for my recovery is not pushing my emotions down, not internalizing them, understanding them. And there may be a point at the beginning when you you do intellectualize your emotions. Um, and honestly, that's a phase. And eventually you'll stop doing it. I know that like intellectualizing your emotions is like a form of avoidance or whatever. But the fact is like we all go through it and there's no way to stop it. It's just a phase. And eventually you'll get very comfortable with being able to sit in your discomfort, if that makes sense. You'll, you'll be able to tolerate the discomfort that some emotions bring. Um, and understand that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's a message that your brain is sending for for you to take action somehow in a healthy way. Thank you so much for sharing it. And um, for anyone watching and uh, if they want to learn more about Quiet BPD, where could they find you? So I'm mostly on TikTok at Quiet BPD. Um, that's my main spot. I also have a website. I can be found at averythequiet.com. Uh, I have a card. Um, so averythequiet at card.co. And I'm booting up my Instagram again. So I did have an Instagram. I took a break because Instagram is very stressful. Um, but I'm booting it up again. So I'm just averythequiet on uh, Instagram as well. Cool. Thank you so much for doing yeah. this and sharing your story with us. I Thanks really appreciate me. it. Thank you so much for joining us on today's BPD Bravery Show. If you've enjoyed it, then like, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure to tune into our show every Monday and Friday. And remember, you are so much more than your BPD.